Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and this is... John Pigeon and Lonnie Hawkins. And we are today talking about all the types of insurances that might be in your world. So, just to give you a bit of a, a teaser of what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about business insurance. If you're starting a small business or if you've got a small business, we're going to then talk about our personal insurances, so travel insurance, our expensive bling... We're going to talk about if you're an investor, all those types of property insurances, and it's going to be a wild time, and I'm looking forward to it. But before we get into today's episode, I just want to thank our show partner, Sunsuper. They've just been collecting awards like they're going out of fashion, haven't cleaning they? Cleaning up, aren't they? Just cleaning it right up. Sunsuper have been awarded Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year for having the best value end-to-end product offering for its members. Since 2015... They've also held CanStar's highest five-star outstanding value rating for basically outstanding value superannuation. They've also been recognized with multiple awards from the likes of Money Magazine and Finder. So, there are hundreds of super funds in Australia and these guys have won awards year on year. So, they must be doing something right. Yeah, they're up there. And we are so fortunate to have Sun Super as our show partner. Mm. So, do yourself a favor, head to sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. Check out the goods if you are looking to review your superannuation. All right, Lonnie, you ready to have a chat? Let's go. Let's go. You ready, John? Let's do this. All right, bam, bam. We're talking today with Lonnie Hawkins, who's an insurance broker. Lonnie explains a bunch of different types of insurances, such as public liability, professional indemnity, contents insurance, travel insurance, and much more. And if you want some insight into what a pain in the ass Glenn is, Lonnie is actually his broker. And he might explain the story around how Glenn went overseas, forgot to lock his house, which was then robbed. All right, Lonnie. How yes, are you? Very well, good. Well, John, Glenn. strap yourself in, baby, because oh. it's going to be a wild one, this. One of the... One of the exciting most, ones. Yeah. So yeah. insurance is, you know, it's part of everyone's life. Okay. And we won't be covering all types of insurance under the sun, but we'll be covering some broad brushstrokes. But I think it's first important to understand the concept of insurance, Lonnie. What is the basic concept? Because you are an insurance broker and we'll get to that. But what is the basic concept of insurance? Insurance is there to, to transfer your risk. So, if you've got something that you can't afford to lose, you need to have insurances on that and get somebody else to to pay for it if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And I guess an example of that is insurance is a pool. 
So, if the three of us here all had a car each and we all had car insurance and there was just, we self-insure between the three of us, we might put in $1,000 a year into our own little bucket and our actuaries have worked out that the chances of the three of us having a total write-off in the one year is very low. Mm. So, that means we all fund the $1,000 a year pool and then that might build up to $20,000 over the years. And then if one of us claims, we pull the money out of the pool to help us. So, yeah, it's correct. kind of like a, an insurance pool. And within the actuarial committee or <laughs> department of the insurance company, they work out that how much can we charge Glenn, John and Lonnie to cover the risk of the, each car being at a total loss or partial loss based on all the variables, how old he is, how old you know, the car is, the location, all that stuff. And still make a profit, so mm. so yeah. that's it's a wild thing. Insurance more uh, more claims, more costly. The premium, generally speaking, Lonnie. Yeah, definitely. That is something that obviously goes into it. Um, at the end of the day, these insurance companies are companies, and they're all there to make a profit for their shareholders. So yeah, some people will think that they're gouging a little bit and trying to earn too much, but uh, we're still got to be able to have enough money in that pool to be pay to be able to pay for all claims mm. yeah so we basically we know that we don't want an insurance company to go under <laughs> so it's okay for uh, them to definitely to, uh, to make yeah. a profit the thing that gets me a little bit is people prioritize different insurances based on their appetite in their life and and one of the first things when times are tough to go is potentially an insurance policy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We see that regularly. Um, I was working down in the Riverina a few years ago and uh, dealing with farmers down there. And when they'd have a really good year, they've got all the money to burn, yeah. yet they go, okay, now I can insure because I've got the money there to pay for insurances. <laughs> mm. When really, that's the best times when you shouldn't have insurances because you can self-insure. No. And then in those tough times in the middle of a drought, you obviously go through those stages where you can't afford to lose anything and you can't afford to pay your, your insurance bill. Yeah. So, it, it is a catch-22. Yeah. yeah. So, Lonnie, you're an insurance broker. What is an insurance broker and what do they do? Insurance broker is there to act on the client's behalf. Um, So, uh, an insurance broker will get an understanding of the client's uh, particular needs and find an appropriate policy to suit what it is that they're looking for and what needs to be covered. Yeah, right. So, is that similar to almost a mortgage broker, do you think, John? Like in your... Yeah, I I use the the comparison when I'm talking to clients, say, well... I personally don't recommend just going purely to a bank. I'll always look across, uh, using a mortgage broker, look across multiple lenders. Um, and I say the same to clients about insurance is time, effort, knowledge. Much prefer to use an insurance broker as opposed to trying to find one company. Is that fair? Yeah, look, it's uh, as an insurance broker, you've actually got more access to more companies. Yeah. Uh, you are able to deal with companies that don't deal direct with the public. They'll only deal with insurance brokers. Yeah. And that goes with particular products as well. They won't deal with direct to the public. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you do need to, at times, you need to deal with an insurance broker to find a, a broad spectrum. Well, it'd be like if I was self-employed, or and or had a weird job like if I was a sports person had lumpy income and wanted to go yeah. to get a mortgage if I just went to bank A they might go well we don't cover you yeah. and then you run away with the tail between your legs going oh I can't get a loan but you go to a mortgage broker 
and they say, oh, hey, no, there's three banks over here that will specialize in you. And yeah. it would be the same with um, insurance brokers, right? The insurance market is completely different. Uh, every insurance company is completely different. They do have what they like and what they don't like. And that's part of the, the business of being an insurance broker. Same as a mortgage broker. You can then, when a client comes in to see you, you understand that, hey, I'm not going to take it to this particular bank because I know that they don't like the particular scenario around that client. Yeah. So we're going to go and and over years of experience, you do get to learn that there are certain products there in the market that you, yeah. that you can't use. So this is just my naive experience, but it, all, all I, I see a lot written as the underwriter being like Lloyd's out of London. Is it common that it's all offshore, um, basically underwriting the whole insurance within Australia or is it local underwriters? Here in Australia, we do have uh, large international insurers that are licensed to deal here in Australia. Yeah. So let's take, for instance, um, QBE. They're actually known as QBE Australia here yeah. in Australia, but then they've got the backing of the large corporation around them of QBE worldwide. Now, Lloyd's of London is a special set up there where it's actually a conglomerate of insurers all get together and come up with different pools. And that would be more, I've got this piece of artwork worth $45 million. Yeah. You know, I don't think QBE are going to do that. No. Might have to go to Lloyd's to yeah, put it to yeah. a pool of. Yeah, and Lloyd's of London kind of acts like a reinsurance in that it's a conglomerate of insurers that get there. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. So, how do like how do you get paid? Like, a mortgage broker might receive a remuneration from the bank that they're placing the mortgage with on behalf of the client. Yep. How do most uh, insurance brokers get paid? Insurance brokers receive a commission based on the uh, policy that they actually sell. Now, that can range from $0 or 0% up to a, a certain percent. I think uh, most of the time it's about 30%. Sure. Uh, but that'll change depending on where else. And then they also charge a broker fee as well. Yes. Yeah, and that's all built into the pricing. Yeah. So, the, the common question is, I suppose, if... If someone like yourself is taking 30% yep. for obviously doing the work, can I go and get the same policy for 30% discount is, is the common uh, elephant in the room. It is, yeah, and it's always asked. Yep. It's something there that some insurance companies um, may have a direct arm yep. and their insurances are cheaper than what I can provide, mostly around that commission structure, yeah, yeah. but then is the product actually suited to your needs? Yeah. So the policy, even though it's done with the same insurance company, may not be exactly the same. So yeah. there might be some extra bells and whistles that the insurance broker gets that actually forces you then to, or, or equates to that difference in premium anyway. Yeah. And we know the direct market, they are going direct, so it is based on price yeah. and you don't get a a free ticket on not using maths because, no. you know, it goes back to that pool thing. If it is cheaper, if the premium is actually cheaper, it's a combination of two things. Usually, there is lack of service, so it's actually cheaper to service the clients, or two, the product quality isn't as good. So, there's no magical thing, everyone. Like, cheap doesn't necessarily mean best because... Wherever you are in life, whatever you do, whatever discussion, you will pay for convenience straight up. Yeah. And the, the thing I always think about and, and why I naturally just use mortgage broker, insurance broker, etc., is if I'm taking the time to go and research 20 different insurance companies for the product that I need, A, I don't know what is going to be the best. 
Um, but B, it's taken me away from what I do on a daily basis to add value to my business. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's the cost of that can be far greater, can't it? Yeah. It certainly can be, especially if you come up with the wrong scenario. Yes. Uh, and you find a policy that doesn't particularly suit and doesn't cover you for what you need. Yeah. 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 So, so there you go. I think it's uh, particularly if you're self-employed, absolutely. I don't think there's ever a reason why you wouldn't check out an insurance broker. Mm. And Lonnie has been my personal broker for probably over 10 years. And it's just made my life a lot easier. I've seen claims paid, which I'll share a bit later. But let's now move into the small business types of insurances. And I will say in any of these discussions, we're not going to cover any personal insurances such as life, TPD, trauma, or income protection slash accident and illness. You can go back and have a listen to episode 141 of the podcast. And we go over an hour just on the personal insurances. But for the small business people, and again, if you're not in small business, you'll learn concepts when we talk about public liability, for example. You hear that. It's just knowledge that's good to know. And then we'll move into personal. So, we'll look at home and content, travel insurance, pet insurance, car insurance. Then we'll look into um, being the investor and having some insurances on our investment properties. So, Lonnie, small business, a lot of people that are listening have a small business if you don't have a small business, that's okay because you're going to learn some insurance terms that you might hear other friends and family members talk about and then we'll cover some personal stuff and investing stuff. But I guess the main one that most small businesses are told that they need before they get on a job site or before they're allowed to rent a place is the public liability insurance. What's public liability insurance? Public liability is there to protect you against personal injury or property damage to a third party. So, right. somebody outside of your business. So, you're protecting others. Right. For instance. So, for example, you're a big guy. Like, <laughs> not like Not the first fat, person that's said that. Like, <laughs> you're tall. You're, you're a mountain. Okay, mate. Okay. Dig yourself yeah. out of that one. That's fine. <laughs> for those listening and watching, and again, if you haven't, you can jump onto YouTube because we're recording this. How, what's your height? Six foot four, 195 oh, centimetres. Yeah. Ruckman. Yeah. So, he's, he's a big guy. Now, if you walked in into my business here and tripped over that lead and broke your leg and went to sue me for $2 million because that's an expensive big leg, yep. would the public liability jump in in that instance? That's what the public liability is there for. So, yeah, it protects you against that personal injury to a third party. I'm a third party to your business because I'm coming into it. I'm not employed. Yes. I'm not an employee of the business. So, I'm a th- considered to be a third party, whether I'm here as a, a contractor to come and do your insurances or, f- or a client that's actually coming in to buy something off you, mm. then they are considered to be a third party. So, so it's irrelevant what they're there for, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. If they're not on the payroll, they're a third party. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, likewise, if you tripped, like how grey is it? Like if you tripped up the step outside because you are coming in here, is would my policy still catch you? It's uh, one of those tricky ones and that's probably not for an insurance broker to answer. Sure. Uh, you're probably going to have to talk to the lawyers that are yeah. about yeah. Uh, <laughs> on your show and, yeah. uh, and go through that. But the scenario that I give to my clients is that if something like that was to happen on the step there uh, and I was injured, I would then go and see my lawyer and the lawyer would then ask me what happened. Yeah. And more than likely, they'd drag in as many people as they could because they want to earn as much money for their client as they possibly can. Mm. So, they'd find out that 
I was going into Glenn's business. If Glenn owned the unit that we were going into, then he'd come in as the owner of the unit. And if it was part of a strata as well, then the strata would be brought in on an incident. Mm-hmm. And that'd go then off to the courts and it'd be up to a judge to award where it actually goes. Now, right. that legal fees associated with fighting that case, even if you're not responsible for the step that I've tripped over, mm. maybe become quite uh, expensive. Yeah. And uh, the insurance is there to pick that up in regards to your public liability yeah. cover. Yeah. So, so that's a pretty, that's a 101 and it's not expensive, is it, public liability? No, depending on the occupation. Um, and it's... it's the public liability is based on um, the occupation that you do and how big your business is. Is most of the the rating points around how how much they actually so, charge. Like, what do I do if I'm I've got a little side hustle and I sell seashells by the seashore and there's a booth by the seashore, the markets, yep. and they say, Glenn, if you want to come and sell your seashells by the seashore, you need to provide us a public liability certificate. Yeah, is it easy for me to get a policy? Yeah, definitely. Um, the the what you want to do if it is a side hustle and you're a current business owner, you can get it attached to the current public liability cover that you've got and put it under the one banner, or you can take out a separate policy for that particular item that you're doing. So, uh, depending on how far different it is from uh, what you're currently doing will depend on sort of whether it actually fits down the one insurance policy or whether you need to separate. That side hustle can be a sole trade or or a single entity. It doesn't necessarily need to be a a company or a... No, exactly right. Yeah. 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 So another, I guess, liability type of insurance, we're in the studio here. I'll pretend we make My Millennial Jam. So I've got, I don't know, figs at home and I'm making fig jam out of here. Now, product liability insurance. So, if you're a small business that you make products and sell products, talk to us about the product liability insurance. So, most of the time with the public liability, it's also tied up with products liability. So, you'll quite often hear it's a public and products liability policy that you're taking out. And if you do have a, a product, whether you're the manufacturer of that or if you're an importer of an item, you're actually deemed to be the manufacturer of that item under Australian laws yeah. also. So you've got to make sure that if something does go wrong with that product, your jams that you're talking about making, if that was to poison somebody and hurt somebody, then you want to make sure that you've got cover there for that because your public liability won't protect you unless you've got that public and products liability cover. So- how much would like? How much would they work out? Because most, like, I think to rent this place, you've got to have twenty million dollars as a minimum public liability, and usually in insurance land, we talk about minimum premiums, right? So it could cost the same for a fifteen thousand dollar policy, a fifteen million dollar policy, as a twenty million, because they've got to just to turn on the computer, get someone on the phone to the broker to work out. Like, we just know the minimum cost is a yeah. grand to service you. Yep. So, given that it might cost a grand for $20 million worth of public liability, how are they working out with the jam? How much to charge you? Is it projections on how many we're selling to what markets? It goes back to the actuaries that are there to build the rates and they determine how often an incident occurs due to the product that you're selling. So, for a jam, it's probably not a high-risk scenario, whereas a uh, children's toy is actually quite high. Mm. And um, you obviously would be expected to pay more premium for a, a child's toy, being a manufacturer of a child's toy, than what you would be of a manufacturer of jam. 
Right. So it's just based on the risk. And how, how does that compare to a service as opposed to a product? Like, can you can you get insurance for that particular service? Like, we we run a service called a podcast. Can you get insurance on that particular service if something happens as a result of that service doing damage to the person who's uh, been listening in? Maybe the podcast's the wrong example, but yeah. Well, I, I think what you're talking about, John, is maybe professional indemnity insurance. Yeah. So the professional advice that you provide as in regards to uh, the product that you're actually selling. So it might be, let's take mortgage broking. Yep. Uh, if you've caused a financial loss in regards to the professional advice that you've provided by sending a client in a certain direction and they've lost money as a, as a result, then the professional indemnity cover is there to pick that up, which is another insurance policy. So an example with the professional indemnity might be you're a chiropractor and you have to pay because you could, you know, crack my back and crack it too far and leave me in a wheelchair. Now, that's because you've directly put your hands on me and have, for whatever reason, caused me injury. So, I could basically sue you for that. So, someone's professional indemnity insurance would cover that. The professional indemnity is obviously there to pick up what the public and products liability doesn't. Yep. So, the public liability is picking picking up a result of personal injury or property damage to a third party. Now, the professional indemnity is more along the lines of those additional costs that are associated with it. So, it might be a loss of income or... Yeah, yeah. But I guess the... Um, so, as a financial advisor, I would have professional indemnity insurance, which I had to pay each year. So, if I gave someone some advice and they might have died and there was a life insurance policy that didn't pay and I was playing by the rules but there was just something that went wrong, yeah. that professional indemnity insurance would cover kick that. in, uh, albeit with a $25,000 excess or whatever that yeah. is, and cover that loss to my clients. Yeah. So, I guess just as a, a bit of a recap so far with your business insurance, we've got public liability product liability if you are manufacturing things or making products professional indemnity so it could be a doctor you're a chiropractor you're a mortgage broker you're giving professional advice now the next one is well i just before we go on to like the building stuff and the physical property and goods and theft workers compensation like so nath is employed here as a full-time podcast and video editor if he walks in and trips on that cable, I've got workers' compensation for him. That's correct. Now, how is that different in Australia with different businesses in different states? It's uh, in New South Wales. Um, it is a compulsory insurances that you need to take out. Uh, the government agency called ICARE uh, is the agency that actually runs the workers' compensation and you need to take a policy out with them directly. Now, there are some large corporations that obviously self-insure, but the majority of us are going to have to have workers' compensation through iCare at some stage, if you have an employee. So, it's, uh, if, you're, if you do have employees, it's state-based. And if you had an insurance broker, so if I said to you the other day, I said, oh, Lonnie, can you hook me up with uh, workers' comp? Yep. You just have to send me to the government agency, basically. Depends on what state. Here in New South Wales, there's a government agency. In some other states here in Australia, it's actually underwritten by the insurance company still. Right. So, all states in Australia are all different. Yeah. So, yeah, you just, you need to talk to 
either somebody locally to where yeah. you are or uh, or an insurance broker that's actually going to point you in the right direction, help you out. Yeah. So another thing with insurance is the property insurance. So what do, what falls under property cover? Property, mostly we're talking about building cover contents. So contents is stuff that you own within that building and your stock. So the building's obviously going to cover that physical property that you've got, the building as such. Contents may include uh, your carpets, light fittings, internal blinds, blinds yeah. but then all your other all the other items that you own within it. So we have a look around the studio here, the chairs and tables and lighting equipment, camera equipment is your contents. It's not here to sell to um, somebody that's coming in the door. And then the stock cover is those items that you've got in your shop or location that you're willing to sell to a client. Mm. It's an interesting one, that one from businesses because small, medium, large, very hard to sometimes put a value on what the hell is in my office or my warehouse at, and at any one time. Do you go out and physically have a look and do an assessment with the owner or how do they usually work that? As an insurance broker, uh, I'm not a valuer. Um, yeah. So really wouldn't have an idea on what the value of the items in a particular location would cost. Uh, we do get a little bit of a feeling over yeah. the years and having many clients to say, okay, if somebody told me that they had 50 grand's worth of contents within a, a warehouse that's three football fields yeah. big, then you go, hang on a minute, something's not quite <laughs> yeah, right yeah. there. But uh, when it comes down to dollars and cents, it, I think the best spot to start with would be your accountant. Mm. Uh, go through your asset register and find yeah. out. And that's uh, and why out. if you are running a business, you need to keep on top of your crap. You've got to mm. make sure you know. Like, So, for example, I'm renting this studio. My contents cover, I think I've just insured it for 100 grand or something. So, there's not more than 100 grand worth of crap in here. Wouldn't be far off. Wouldn't be far <laughs> off. But, I mean, I've got to insure the blinds because I've installed yeah. them. So, for me, insurance is basically for total loss. And if I can get a partial thing, I'll do it along the way. Yeah. But So, you've just got to think, worst case scenario, if the building yeah. burnt down, what did I lose? What's it going to cost you to get back into business? And so, if you're running your more. business in there, yeah, and quite often it does. Yeah. Uh, with a business insurance, you, you're going to replace like for like. Yeah. So, if you've got a 10-year-old table then you'll probably need to replace that with another 10-year-old table. Yeah, you yeah. won't get a brand new one. So that's the other thing to consider uh, as part of your insurance. Yeah, because I mean, if, if in your example, if you're saying, well, I might just insure it for 90 grand instead of 100, and then you went to replace it, like that 10 grand difference is, is massive when the policy might only cost you an extra $100 a year. Hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And the other thing to be concerned about uh, with commercial insurance policies, and there's a lot of commercial insurers around that will have an, an average clause on their insurance policy. Now, that's there to penalise you at the time of a claim mm. if you don't insure it for close to its full value. Now, the difference, like you don't have to be to the dollar before they penalise you, but if you try to insure something for half of its full value and then try to make a claim then the insurance company, as part of that clause, could turn around and only pay you half of that, the value oh, of yeah. that claim, yeah. even though you think you've got enough there to cover it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's just change tact and example, and they won't mind if I use them as an example, my good friends at Glee Coffee Roasters, uh, they're also a client of Lonnie's, and Chris had a, it was almost a $10,000 coffee machine in the back of his car one day, okay, which would be insured under their property policy, okay? Now, 
Oh, and if you want, if you go to their checkout, gleecoffee.com.au and use the promo code M3, you'll probably get a 15% discount on, <laughs> on coffee still. So that's a bit said of a, that for a while. Yeah, I know, a bit of an ad there. <laughs> They've still got it there. So Chris's car was parked somewhere in Newcastle and someone vandalized it and set it alight. Oh, no. So his personal car set alight. Coffee machine because, worth more than a car? Yeah, the coffee like <laughs> 10, 13 grand coffee machine in a bloody $2,000 piece of crap that he had at the time. What was the outcome there and how did it come about with the claims? So, what happened there was because Glee Coffee have actually got their contents and stock uh, cover at a particular location, one of the additional benefits under the policy that they had at the time was items that were temporarily removed. Now, that doesn't cover it for everything that you've got here. But insurance companies do realise that you do take particular items out of your location and take it off somewhere at particular times. So in this instance, uh, that percentage was high enough to actually cover this coffee machine, even though it wasn't located at those premises that they actually had the insurances on. Right. So if it was some obscure item that they logically think, well, you'd never actually have that in transit, they could deny your policy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. So the other thing, um, if you don't have that building and contents or your contents and stock cover somewhere at a particular location, let's take a tradie, for instance, that yeah. carries around his tools and equipment, you can't rely on that percentage because you don't have the insurance cover at a particular location. So, yeah. You can then insure it as what we class as general property cover, which is an Australia-wide cover for those tools and equipment that you would regularly take out in your van or whatnot. Yeah. So that's the other way that the coffee machine could have been covered uh, if yeah, we had okay. to go down that path. So mm. It would be a common claim, the old uh, tradies' tools being stolen, wouldn't it? Yeah, you quite often see it out of the back of the ute yeah. and yeah, uh, there's well. obviously... Um, the insurance companies are starting to pick up on that now yeah. and you've got to you've got to try and help yourself a lot of the time in insurances so yeah. you don't want to leave a ten thousand uh, dollar circular saw or just lying around in the back of an aluminium tray on the yeah. back of the ute for yeah. somebody to walk past pick it up and go mm. you need to be able to try and lock it up so have that toolbox that's connected to the ute or a van that's locked yeah um, so I guess it is that thing if you are running a small business or you're thinking about it have a chat with Lonnie and tell him your personal situation so he can go back and say, look, based on what you've told me, I believe this is most appropriate to cover the risks that you're not willing to carry. And I'll give you an example. This studio here, it is absolutely compulsory when I sign the lease to provide a certificate of currency for glass because landlords, I don't like, like their buildings insured, but they always make the tenant yeah. have glass cover. It's so dumb. But I can't get this rented unless I've got public liability. So there's no can't get out of that. And they will usually a landlord a landlord will ask to re, to have a look at the certificate of currency each year. Yeah. So you've got to kind of have it. And it's not just landlords that'll actually ask for that. We're starting to see that across all occupations now and i'm even saying to my clients that if you've got a contractor that comes onto site you need to cite a certificate of currency to prove that they've got public liability in place before they come onto your site yeah absolutely. so it doesn't have to be a landlord it could be anything really Uh, if you've got a contractor coming onto site yeah it's best off to try and ask for that but i guess following on like it was compulsory that i get that but if we go to the thing with insurance and transferring the risk it's not compulsory that I insure the lights and the cameras and the microphones. No. 
but what it is in my personal life, if there's 80 grand or 100 grand worth of gear here, I've made the call that I would rather pay a premium of, and I'll make it up, $1,000 a year to transfer the risk yeah. so I don't have to carry that risk yeah. of one, losing $100,000. Yeah, there's a sleep at night factor there yeah. as well. Isn't However, if I was worth $5 billion, I probably wouldn't insure 80 grand worth of gear, 100 grand worth mm. of gear. I would mm. self-insure. I've got enough money to just take that risk on myself. Mm. Yeah, and that's what you've got to weigh up in that transferring a risk. Can I afford to lose that? If you've yeah. got a $1,000 car and, and it's going to cost you $1,000 in premium well, to insure... that's a common one, then isn't it? That's quite often happening at the yeah. moment. But if you don't care about your car itself, what about that third party? Third party yeah. yeah, and uh, if you've got a car... Cover. As a minimum, third-party damage. Third-party property damage only. Anyway, it? yeah. No, it's no. not. The green it's slip's not. compulsory, which is the personal injury associated with a car accident. Yeah, yeah. That's in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. So, but so, uh, um, yeah, third-party property damage is obviously going to pick up damage that you do. So even though your car's worth $1,000, if you run that into a, a million-dollar Ferrari or a half-a-million-dollar Ferrari and you damage that, where are you going to find the money to yeah. cover that? And that's what that third-party property damage yeah. only cover will cover. So there you go. If you're a small business owner, chat with Lonnie. We'll put his details in the show notes. And he's helped me out for the last however long. And it's just been really good. And to be honest, there's been times where I've sent in like Lonnie um, a quote from you know, insurance.com or just the normal website. Yeah. And the policies that he can get have been cheaper mm. and better. Like it's, and he still get paid. Like it's just yeah. wild. And the thing in that example is he knows your life inside and out as well. So, well, and as well, remember, there's a cost for convenience. Okay. Mm. So, when I went to China, I was broken into, I had two laptops stolen, didn't lock my house, forgot to, <laughs> but we didn't tell you. You didn't that. tell me that part well, of it. Well, no, they didn't ask. You didn't ask. So, so I lost two laptops, okay? Now, it was basically a text message or email to Lonnie. He sent a form. I filled that out quickly, sent it back to him. Done. Yeah. So even if my premium for my home contents cost $100 more a year, my situation, I'm too busy if crap happens to have to deal with other crap because mm. I was running a business like for me it was worth and I, it was actually I think it ended up being cheaper than NRMA who I was with anyway that's why I just moved it with you but it was the hassle factor yeah. that he sorted it out the other chance that I've used Lonnie when I was watching a movie on my iPad in the bath and the iPad <laughs> fell into the bath you, you, shouldn't, <laughs> Is have, he serious? you shouldn't have covered him for that crap <laughs> So, again, it was... He was lucky like, that I got stupidity cover for him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then um, I... It was not even a week later, there was $1,200 in my bank account mm. because that was also picked up on my home contents. So, he's been good for me. <laughs> good, and then I lost my watch once and he was going to... Then, then I found it, so that was good. Uh, so... Hey, Glenn, did I tell you that there's no insurers that want to take you on this year? Yeah, really? that's right. <laughs> it's uninsurable no. now. So, let's move on to some concepts around our personal insurance. So, home and content insurance. What should people be looking out for? You've got to have a look out for what it is that you need covered. 
again, we're transferring the risk. So you've got to have a look at it. Every insurance company is different. Every insurance policy that those companies sell is different. So just because an insurance company can do this part of your business or personal life doesn't mean they, they're going to be able to do no. the other part. So they may be good at the building insurance, but no good at contents. So you've got to be able to find something that actually suits your need. Now, there's insurance companies around, and I saw that recently uh, with a client of mine that had actually left and gone off and taken a cheaper premium somewhere else. Their kitchen got damaged as a result of water. I think the pipe, pipe burst behind the sink and damaged all the kitchen cupboards. Their claim got paid by the insurance company, but it was limited to $7,500. Now, $7,500 for a kitchen no. isn't a great deal. So uh, it's it's those little things that you need to be aware of and you need to have a look at the insurance policy. So just comparing premiums alone is not good enough. You need to be able to have a look a yeah. little bit deeper and find out, okay, do I need cover for a particular reason. Have I got these limitations of say seven and a half thousand dollars on a kitchen that I know I've just spent thirty to forty thousand dollars to put in. Mm. So when someone's buying a home for the first time and they've got a loan associated with that, that lender will say, Show me a certificate of currency for this minimum amount. Correct. How do you find that minimum amount stacks up against the real value? It's a difficult one. So um, uh, comparing it to others, sometimes you look at it and go, okay, that value that they're asking you to do seems a little bit more than what it actually should be. And then I've also got some calculators that have been set up by industry experts. They're builders and they've assessors and yep. all sorts of things. So they've had plenty of experience in seeing the costs associated with it. And you run those calculators and you see that it's probably not far off uh, where it should be. Now, me personally, I'd much prefer to be a little bit overinsured and pay a little bit extra premium than to be underinsured. Yeah. So, uh, but that's just me. Mm. Uh, that's that's the way I do things. Uh, but doesn't mean that I go and insure my building for a million dollars when it's only going to cost two hundred thousand nah. dollars to replace because I'm only ever going to get two hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess with home and contents insurance, a lot of people have expensive crap and weird stuff. So someone might have an engagement ring worth $5,000. Is it safe to assume that jewelry is automatically covered on every contents insurance policy or should you be checking? You should be checking, definitely. So um, every policy is probably going to cover you for those jewelry items, but it's just a matter of what they actually cover you for. Some will automatically include an engagement ring but they may limit it to $1,000. Others will cover that engagement ring, but only cover it at the situation. Now, how often does an engagement ring sit? The girls always want to show them off, don't they? And go down the street and, uh, yeah. So, for example, would they say, we'll cover it if it gets stolen but not lost? Have you seen those type of wordings? Yeah, you occasionally see that. Um, I have seen a number of clients that have a separate policy for those valuable items. So that insurance company that would only protect that ring when it's at home and only cover it to $1,000 can actually insure it to the full value, as you're saying, of $5,000 and cover it outside of the location, but you need to pay an additional premium for it. And that would be called a rider to the policy. Yes. So So if you had... Take the example of the engagement ring. Yep. Uh, under a, is it specified items or something? Yeah, that specified they call valuables, yep. specified specified so items. If you've got that sitting there versus under underneath the general 
amount and yep. it fits within that general amount, is there any benefit to having it exclusively specified or not? If it fits under the limits of that particular yep. policy, then there's no need to specify it. As long as that policy covers it for anywhere in Australia or yeah. even if you're travelling around the world and it's covered to that full amount, then there's no need to specify it. Yeah, because the one thing that I always get is, well, I've got an item that's worth X amount. Now, it sits under the total amount covered, yep. but it's an unusual thing. Like take uh, a road bike, for example, that yep. you physically have to push, not a motorized one. That might be worth $6,000. Yeah, how, what's yours insured with? Yeah, well, that I've actually got that as a specified item because yep. I just I don't want to have any hiccups when it comes to claiming if I need to. That's fair enough. Did the cost of the insurance increase for you to specify that bike? I, I believe it did, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. usually because the cost increase by default means that it wasn't going to be automatically. And that that's what I'm getting at is mm. well I don't you don't want to be to any surprises. It's bad enough that something's been stolen or damaged or whatever. Yep. The last thing you want is a, a policy um, claim rejected, right? Yeah, definitely. And me being, uh, I love my outdoors and uh, love to go camping. And I've got a accidental damage policy for my home and contents yeah. insurance. So it'll cover my contents anywhere in Australia. Yeah. So that includes my camping gear. So whenever I go away, we were away in January with all the bushfires that we're about and people were saying, okay, what are we going to do here? Uh, are we going to pack up and grab everything and, and, and run as soon as we see a fire? And I said, I'm actually going to leave all of my belongings here. I said, I know that they're insured. I don't have to worry about it at all and I'm just going to get myself out of there. Yeah, I need and some new gear anyway. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you leaving Tash and the kids or were yeah. you... Glenn, don't put me in that position, please. <laughs> I was grabbing uh, Tash and the kids yeah, and uh, yeah, throwing them in the river and yeah. uh, and swimming away, yeah. away from the bushfire. Yeah, so, so. yeah the, the belongings uh, were definitely going to be left there. But that is something that you need to take into consideration. Now, a road bike, uh, as you're talking about, may not be covered whilst you're actually using it in a race, yeah. uh, but do you need cover for that whilst you're actually travelling around and going to races? Yeah. So I had a... a a good friend of mine that I do the insurances for, he had his uh, $8,000 push bike on the roof and he decided, uh, or he didn't decide, but his roof racks decided to let go Oof. and his $8,000 bike came off the top of his car. Yeah. And he said, Lonnie, help me. What's the go? And I said, mate, we put you under the accidental damage policy. So I said, it's not a, not an issue. Is that code so, for I went under an underground car park? And <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me that much, but uh, I'm assuming. Yeah. He, well, um, yeah, yeah. Funny. Because I think it's all about that transfer of risk. Like mm. if you dropped $6,000 tomorrow and lost it, mm. yeah, probably don't heaps care. But I think it's with the, the psychological factor that if something happened to my bike... Mm it's taken care of like totally it's, it's, it's just that convenience and when you're at, at a time when it's so stressful anyway yeah, yeah like totally. you just don't have to worry about and that. that's part of one of the best parts about my job is actually having a phone call from a client when they're they are panicking because they've had a, a six thousand dollar bike either lost or stolen or fallen off the back of the car yeah and you're able to ease the mind of yeah, somebody and say right. look don't be concerned at that yeah uh, no. and that's what glenn was doing with his yeah. Uh, laptops um, and his iPad. 
puts it straight up on Facebook. Oh no, I've dropped this in the what's so, name. Yeah. So he didn't know what to do, and, no. uh, yeah, and to be able to send him a message and say you do know that's covered under your insurance, which I didn't even think of. Yeah. I thought it was my fault. Yeah. I'm watching bloody uh, the Notebook in the bath. Yeah. You know the candles on, and it's a you know fun time. Yeah, it sounds far too romantic. Yeah, that, yeah. And, <laughs> when you're on your own, and then. So, it, but like there is like it's obviously not stupidity insurance but like where do they draw the line to say well you shouldn't have had a laptop in the bath yeah look it it is what we're classing as an accidental damage policy so accidental damage or loss is a stupidity cover really yeah Um, well it's an accident yeah it's just there to stop uh, it'll cover an accidental loss as long as you don't physically try to damage it so if you were to get out your hammer and smash your laptop or your six thousand dollar bike and chop it up with a saw Mm. then they're not going to cover that because you've intentionally gone and and ruined it but it's there to protect those accidental damage Mm. losses absolutely so i think with your home and contents i just want to make it clear if you can't if you own a home and you can't afford home insurance like at this point i don't care about your big screen TV in your lounge that's whatever but if you can't afford building insurance you can't afford to own the home no definitely and not. it was so sad to see the bushfires rip through and destroy all these homes with people uninsured it sounds really crass but could they afford to be a homeowner to start with? And I mean, it's so sad, but just we've just got to know it should be considered the cost of home ownership because, yeah, you know, you get one chance when the, or if it floods, like, I don't know, it's just because it, it's our biggest asset other than our own income is the dwelling that we live in if we own it. Mm. So, Number one. And number two, if you are renting, you can just get contents insurance to cover. And I when I because when I was renting Lonnie, I thought, okay, contents, I'm only insuring for total loss. Like I'm not insuring if someone walks in and grabs my laptop, I was renting, just didn't care. But if the place that I was living got burnt down or yeah. flooded, total loss, okay, well, you know, the bed's two grand. The fridge is a grand. The, yeah. Like, it could add up to 50, 60, Quickly 70 grand up. pretty fast. Yeah. Actually, the biggest thing that people get lost on is that they have a look at their large furniture that they've got inside a unit and they go, okay, I've got the big screen TV, I've got a lounge and I've got a bed and that's five or $10,000. That's all I need to insure. Yeah. But probably what I'm starting to find is the biggest asset that you've actually got in your house are your clothes. Yeah. Mm. Now, if you're looking at a new for old replacement, uh, it's very hard to find a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes under a hundred or a couple of hundred dollars these yeah. days. Yeah, well, Glenn's uh, got six hundred sitting on his left foot now. <laughs> Mate, you've got RM Williams as well. <laughs> but yes, I've 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 got three pair of RM Williams worth six hundred each. Like if the place got burned down, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, you've just got to think about uh, what it is that you do have in there and, and sometimes it is worth um, having a look at it and going, okay, how much have I actually got? Yeah, and you, you mentioned before about the go to your accountant and, and you've got an audit there and a stock take. You, you, you don't have that in your personal life, do you? So no. it may be an exercise to do an annual audit. 
And the other thing when you do make a claim is that you've got to have proof of ownership mm, totally. of the items that you've actually lost or, or have been stolen. So, so every time what I... do you have? Have you got yeah. a receipt for those items? And the biggest thing that we can actually use at the time of a claim is a photo of these items. Yeah. So why not run around your house and do a stock take and take photos of items and say, okay, well, I've had this. And, and then when you do have a claim, you've got that proof, proof of ownership yeah. there makes it a lot easier interesting story about a couple of months ago i've got a oh, i had a garmin watch right now that garmin with technology connects to your, your garmin connect system in the yep. cloud and i rang up and said look my watch is on its way out this is what it's doing and they said okay name and number and they put it in their system and they could see my activity records in my garmin connect So they said, all right, that's cool. We know that that's your watch. Uh, All you need to do is send it in and we'll send you back out a new one. So I didn't need any receipt, didn't need to know when I purchased it because they know it's my watch. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's just they've used the brain, basically. They've got the technology and they're using it. Which is pleasing to see they've used technology. It makes it it a lot easier when it is um, somebody's product. But an insurance company, unfortunately, doesn't have those. No, true. But that might be a way for you to actually get that proof of ownership on that one item. Correct. Uh, and go from there. Yeah. So I, I think we'll we'll move on from your home and contents. You've just got to check it out. To a point, I think, you know, and we won't talk about it, but pet insurance, for example, I think owning a pet is a luxury. Therefore, pet insurance is also a luxury. And I'm kind of of the view if you've got a fully funded emergency fund, Maybe does you don't need pet insurance, but if you've got a fully funded emergency fund and you've got a spending plan in place and all's good, you know you might go. All right, we'll stuff it. I'll pay twenty dollars a fortnight with insurance. I'm pretty much whatever on the pet insurance thing, so we won't go into that because it's just yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any real comments on the pet insurance. Like, yeah, we, we do have it from the basis of we know that our pet has a certain ailment that continually needs to be readdressed so yeah we could use our bucket for it to cover it but insurance just makes sense from that point of view so totally let's move on and talk conceptually about travel insurance now travel insurance COVID-19 there's a lot going on in the globe at the moment with insurance particularly around travel insurance so this certain pandemic aside, conceptually speaking, do travel insurance policies cover loss due to pandemics? Pandemics, so it'll, it'll actually depend on the insurance policy that you're with. Right. And that's one of the, obviously, the topics that we are talking about across all products that we do talk about today. Every policy is completely different. Now, some are covering a pandemic and some aren't. So you really need to know what's going on. Now, in regards to the travel insurance, with trips to China, there was a a ban put on that, uh, where are we now, the end of January 2020, where the uh, DFAT had actually declared it a a do not travel zone. So if you go into those do not travel zones under your travel insurance, then you are going to have an exclusion on that policy. So the the do not travel uh, advices that do come from the government uh, are there for a reason. And so you're saying a lot of the insurance companies will look at the DFAT website to see if they'll cover risks based on what the government is saying? Yeah, exactly right. So if you need to cancel a trip because of that DFAT warning, then you still need to check on your travel insurance policy and make sure that you are covered for 
this pandemic that's going on at the moment. Right. And so, uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, well, I was going to say, because with travel insurance, we've got to just remember it's an insurance policy. So, remember when there was the volcanoes in Bali? Okay, so volcanic eruption happens in Bali, flights cancelled, trips cancelled. Yep, sweet, I'll claim my travel insurance. Most travel insurance companies would pay the claim, but then they would say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. We know that there's a volcano. We know that it's going to happen. So, if you take up a policy from now or book a ticket from now, you will be excluded because it'd be the same thing. It's a known event and that can be the big issue. It'd be the same thing if I rock up to my uninsured home tonight and it's on fire and it's not insured and I'm calling the insurance company and they can hear the crackles in the background, <laughs> they're not going to insure you no. because the actuaries need to balance that. There's a higher risk of it not happening. Yeah. So, in the travel insurance space, where where do you decide, yeah, I definitely need travel insurance? Because, like, I'm going to Brisbane on Friday. Fly in, fly out, no overnight. Yep. Like, I'm not getting travel insurance. Okay. That's um, fine. That's just me, but what, what's yep. uh, what, what's common? What do you see? Um, so, the things that the travel insurance or that you want to protect are obviously going to be your medicals. Yep. So, your medical is going to be not as a bigger concern here in Australia because we are covered by Medicare. We're very lucky here in Australia that yep. we do have that system. So, if something was to happen to you in Brisbane and you had some medical issues, then Medicare is going to cover that anyway for yep. you. If you were travelling overseas and you had a medical issue, Medicare is not going to pick, you, no. pick that up when you're travelling. Um, so, you need that travel insurance then. The other thing is going to be the cancellations. So, if you're out of pocket for the flights that you've booked or the accommodation and you've spent thousands of dollars on that and you want protection because you don't want to lose that, then that's another reason for you to to take out that travel insurance. The other big one that I sort of rely on too is the the hire car benefit that's under a travel insurance. If I'm hiring a car when I go somewhere, quite often the hire car company will have a a really large excess and that can be covered by your travel insurance up to a particular limit. Yeah. So, And if that travel insurance limit isn't high enough to, to cover the limit that the hire car company has got, then you need to pay that daily rate that they actually yeah. do charge you, So, which can be quite expensive. And yeah, So your travel insurance can nearly pay for itself if you are hiring a car for mm. five days because mm. if you're paying 25 bucks uh, a day to, to bring that excess, excess down with the yeah. insurance. So can I get a, a blanket travel insurance policy for 12 months that covers things like that? Yeah, you definitely can. So, definitely under a business, we've got a corporate travel plan, uh, which will cover you and your employees for all personal travel that you do throughout that 12-month period. And that'll be whether it's Australia or international, do a declaration at the start of the year or an estimate, and then a declaration at the end of the year and and work it out accordingly. Mm -hmm. And the premium's based on that. Yeah, so I think you need to realise with travel insurance... I think it's controlling the worst case scenario. So, it would be if you're ill or fall sick overseas or you get rushed to hospital or helicopter's called, that's when you want your travel insurance. If you've lost a $1,200 ticket because of a pandemic, which basically grounds the world anyway, you can kind of see why most travel insurance companies won't cover a pandemic that's it sucks but it's also okay because i think the reason we need to buy travel insurance 
is if we get sick overseas. Mm. That's my view of it and the higher car overseas. Yeah, you just have a look at uh, the medical costs associated with um, some overseas travel. I know my brother went to America in the last couple of years and, and had appendicitis when he was over there and spent oh. a little bit of time while he was travelling in hospital mm. getting that taken out. And the the bill for that was, I think it was $60,000. Oh. So do you pay a couple of hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for your travel insurance before you go or cop that when you get over there. No brainer. And going with this COVID virus at the moment, uh, I did hear the other day that if you were sent for isolation in an American hospital, it's something like $84,000 for two weeks stay. Mm. Yeah. So it's a good hotel. But if pandemic isn't covered on that policy, you can't get it anyway. No, you won't, you won't no. be able to. No. And the other thing that we do need to uh, consider at the moment are these travel bans, but also the dates in which things have arisen as a result of the pandemic. So if you're trying to organise to travel anywhere in the world at the moment, you're probably going to find it very hard to get cover anywhere for yeah. it because it is a known event at the moment. Yeah. Um, and the, the cut, that cut-off date was the beginning of March 2020 yeah. worldwide. Yeah. Almost yeah. like the volcano thing with the Bali yeah. that I was talking about with Bali. Yeah. yeah. So it. if your insurance policy actually has pandemic cover and you've booked and paid for your travel and organised your travel insurance prior to the 24th of January, yeah. then you're going to be fine to cancel it. You cancel your trip as a result of the do not fly or Australia telling you that you can't go out of the country. As long as your insurance policy um, covers you for pandemic, then you will be able to get a refund on those tickets that you've you've done. Yeah, it's just if an example is if the known event date was the 1st of March, for example, and then you bought your ticket on the 2nd of March to America, for example, and you bought your travel insurance policy on the 2nd of March to America, so it's after the date, still you can fly to America, that's no problem. If you cancelled because you didn't want to go because you feel scared, you're not going to get covered because that's your choice. But when Trump turned around and he said, oh, we're not letting any citizens in, at that point it's out of your control, but because you're outside, you're after that date, you're not covered. That's correct. If it was, if you got your ticket, got your insurance policy before the known event line in the sand and it was cancelled because of maybe Trump closing the borders, your trip to America, you would likely be covered. Yeah. But before he made the decree that no other, no people other than citizens could come in and you cancelling just because you've changed your mind, it'd be likely not covered because you've just changed your mind. Insurance isn't there to cover you for your change of mind. Yes. Yeah. It's to cover you as a result of a third party doing Unforeseen. something to stop you. Yeah, yeah. something that's unforeseen. Yeah. So I think it's important to know that with travel insurance, this is why as soon as you book your holiday, book your travel insurance policy. Yeah. Before you, like don't do it the day before you go because you've got a higher chance of getting your money back for your flights if you have the travel insurance policy booked, lodged, paid for before... There are times when you actually do need to use that travel insurance prior to you actually travelling. And that cancellation is obviously one of those. Yes. So, Mm -hmm. there you have it on the travel insurance. So, the last kind of segment to this insurance discussion is if, John, you've got a client who's buying an investment property. Mm. So, Lonnie, talk to us if one of John's client is buying a standalone 
home in suburbia as their investment property, what type of insurance do they need to consider? What are, what's compulsory to the bank and what's optional to the landlord? Okay, so your word that you used there was landlord. Um, so there is landlord's insurance around that a, a, a owner of a property that is going to be a landlord and have tenants within it can have specialist cover required as the property owner of that building. Um, now, that might be additional cover for damage to the property by a tenant. It might be rent default, which is a result of a, a tenant defaulting on rent and leaves their lease agreement early. Um, and yeah, and then of course, you're going to have the public liability cover associated with that as well. Yeah. So, question on normal houses and investment properties do all home and home policies then in property policies have a built in public liability? Yeah, with your home and contents, if yes. you're a homeowner uh, and living in that property, then you are going to have public liability cover associated Sweet. with that as and well. And same if John's client or John has an investment property, yeah. there will be public liability built into the landlord's insurance policy. Just check yeah. and make sure yeah. that you've got it because it's not always standard right. depending yeah. on the and insurance that, cover that you want. And wow. that's where some investors can actually cry foul is, is they have this building insurance which covers them in the event of fire and whatever else, but they don't have the landlord's insurance component, which in my mind is uh, a much regular occurrence than the, the, the house burning down. Mm. So, yeah, you definitely need both. Yeah, I've seen it far too often where tenants have caused damage to it and um, the, the building when they've moved out of it uh, is a complete mess. Whether they've torn through the property and intentionally put holes in walls and yeah. Yeah, ripped so, carpets up yeah, and so stolen air conditioners. If and, I had a uh, landlord's insurance policy and my tenant drove their Harley Davidson into the lounge room, changed the oil, wrecked the carpet, yep. they that policy would cover the trashed yeah, you've just got property. to check and make sure that that's, uh, the policy that you've actually purchased does include that. And what about if they don't pay rent and default on rent? It's an additional cover there that you have you can elect to take out. So just check and make sure that the policy that you are purchasing is covering those items that you actually want or yeah, need. Yeah, so your, co- your common terms there are malicious damage and rent default, aren't they? They're, they're the big ones mm. when you are a landlord and that's where you're going to lose, unfortunately, um, if you haven't got the right tenant on board, uh, you are going to lose the most amount of money. Yeah. Mm. Uh, probably prior to you losing the building. Yeah. And finally, so my home where I live, there's three townhouses, much like if you had one townhouse as an investment property in those three properties, the body corporate needs strata insurance for the building. So talk to us about strata insurance and what it actually covers and what it doesn't. Strata insurance is covering the the property that is owned by the strata. Uh, the strata is a what's the term that you would use, John, for a common strata property? So you've, common. Got a, you've got a body corporate that that has the insurance for that common property which, that's correct which is well, can be wide and varied because you can have a community title and you can have strata title and yep. you've got torrance title now torrance title is on its own without confusing the matter but but a strata insurance is for essentially the common property throughout the, the that uh, is complex. common to all owners so yeah if you've got a building there and uh, the owner of that building as such there may be unit holders uh, in Glenn's instance there's obviously three different units there so yeah. you're going to have three different owners but the strata actually owns the entire property and now that's common to everybody uh, and you do need to have strata insurance uh, across yeah. that. So the difference with strata insurance, if a tree fell through 
my unit, unit three, and wrecked the roof and fell through and damaged the gyprock, the strata insurance would cover the external of the property. Correct. But the inside gyprock and the light fixture or the tiles or the curtains, my contents policy has to cover those. Yeah. And that's different in every state from what I can gather too. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah some, some states will obviously cover uh, some things that other states don't. So, it, it comes down to that interpretation of what's actually considered to be part of the strata. So, sometimes the, the drywalls within the unit, the gyprock, may actually be covered by the, the strata insurance, but the paint on the wall might actually be the unit holder's option and mm. they need to have that covered so you just need to check your terms and conditions on the mm. strata and and most stratas by the sounds of it are um, completely different as well mm. yeah definitely cover your, your strata insurance policy before you get your own individual one because there could be some gaps in there and you don't realize till the time of claim yeah mm. so like anything you need to get specific advice and help for your own situation Life's full of risks. I don't believe insurance is about removing all those risks, but it's just about helping taking on some of the risk yourself, which might be I've got an excess that, you know, I have to pay a $1,000 excess. I'll take Mm. on the first $1,000 worth of risk. And then the insurance policy will capture the rest of the event. I just think if you're going to use insurance, you've just got to be wise and just get the right advice because you can insure everything if you want. Don't buy bloody insurance for your TV. Don't buy bloody insurance add-on for your car because all this auxiliary insurance crap, it is marked up and that's where businesses are making their money now. You go into JB Hi-Fi or Hardly Normal or Domain or whatever and buying a TV and they try and sell you the insurance it's because they're selling the TV for cost, yeah. gets you in the door, they'll make money on the finance and the add-on insurance. I think you can take the risk on a $1,000 TV after it breaking after one year. Take that risk yourself. Don't buy a $23 a month insurance policy or some BS for your dumb TV. Yeah, true. And, and the example you gave of the bushfire is absolutely uh, hits home when when the policy might cost you $1,000, 1300 1500 on a $500,000 building that you can s- replace for that $1,500 policy versus yeah. being 500 gra- grand down the drain because you didn't take out a policy. Like, absolute no-brainer. Mm, yeah. So, you can reach out. We'll put Lonnie's details in the show notes or you can Google Lonnie Hawkins Shortland Insurance Brokers. Tell him Glenn sent you and uh, I'll make sure he looks after you. So, thanks so Lonnie. much, Lonnie. And... Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks. And now, for the most highly regarded, auspicious moment in podcast history in Australia, which maybe isn't as big as it should be, it's time for the My Millennial Community Member of the Week. All right, Lyndall, you are up. Lyndall is the community member of the week. Well done, Lyndall. Lyndall, what is up? She's 27. She's from Leichhardt. She's a senior researcher. John, her current financial goal is to build an emergency fund, stick to her spending plan, and save for a house. Well done. And I think like this whole insurance thing that we've been talking about, it's... It can feel like, oh, I can't afford the insurance. It's coming from every angle. And we, even have, we haven't even covered health insurance today. But 
you know, we sometimes feel stressed and try and take away the $80 a month insurance that we think is going to solve our problems, but we're just looking for an easy out. Yeah. Make sure you've got a spending plan, build your life correct one thing at a time, factor the costs of insurances into your spending plan mm. that will help remove stress and sorry that's just a rant because a lot of the times and Lyndall has just built her emergency fund so she's kind of got a three-month buffer which means she might go with her car insurance you know what i'm financially well i can increase the excess an extra five hundred dollars yeah. and take on a bit of the risk myself because i've got that buffer yeah longer so, excess periods and things like that yeah because she can kind of self-insure with that yeah. emergency fund yeah uh, so good on you there Lyndall, with uh saving for a house how she's achieving this goal. She finally got rid of Afterpay because of this podcast. Woohoo! And she automated all of her expenses. Oh. So, Lyndall, you well are done. a poster child. Her silliest money mistake. Probably thinking that when you put something on Afterpay, it's not actually $200. It's only $50 times four. Yes. They well. market that well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> thanks, Lyndall, for being part well done, of the community. And thank you, everyone, for listening today it was a, a big episode but good we one, hope though. that you've learned a little bit more about insurance and thank you Lonnie for hanging around thanks Lonnie good. Thanks, right. see ya bye, bye. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. This podcast supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you want some other giving options, or if you are unsure about which charity you can support, head to the lifeyoucansave.org.au If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash m You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. Thanks to Jess Knaus, producer, Nathan Robertson, editor, and me, Ash. Anyway, make sure you're connected via Instagram and our free Facebook group. We also film most of our content now, so check out My Millennial Money on YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.